The Air Force and Navy had major conferences this past week. What did our reporters learn over the course of those events? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. So that's been, again, kind of the overwhelming theme is this ongoing operation. This, I think it's fair to call it a proxy war at this point, and lessens the Navy's learning from these engagements. We talked with Air Force Times' Rachel Cohen and Navy Times' Jeff Zulowitz to learn more. I'm your host, Jonathan Lairfeld. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Hey, Rachel. So you reported on the Air and Space Forces Association's Air Warfare Symposium that was in Colorado last week. What can you tell us about the new Integrated Capabilities Command? Yeah, so there was there was a lot that was announced um, at this conference, and you know the the new command is certainly one of those biggest pieces. Um, one of the things that they really want to get after, um, you know, as they look at what they need to do to be able to compete more effectively with with China's military ambitions, is have a more holistic view of what they need for future capabilities. So right now, a lot of that discussion falls to the major commands, um, you know, so the the organizations that oversee, you know, fighter, bomber, mobility, um, each of those different silos. And so creating a separate command will let them look look more holistically at, you know, where they're falling short, um, you know, what capabilities they need for the next, uh, you know, 10, 20, however many years, um, and, and spend money more effectively so that they're not, you know, duplicating efforts or, you know, overlooking, you know, investments that that could be beneficial. And the service said it will replace the Air Education and Training Command with a new Airman Development Command. What info do you have on that? Not a ton as of right now. So they're they're renaming it. It sounds like they want it to have, uh, you know, a, a bigger role over the training pipeline that it already governs. Um, we're not entirely clear what that would look like yet. You know, it, it sounds like, um, you know, there's pieces of the training enterprise that fall under other commands that they want to move under the purview of, you know, what will be Airman Development Command. You know, I it's, it's kind of unclear right now, you know, if that means, you know, people's patches will kind of just be changing or, um, you know, if there will be you know, new offices of people that are that are writing curriculum, um, you know, things things like that. So that's that's really still up in the air. But they think that it's going to make the training process over somebody's entire career a little smoother. Um, is is really the idea there? Any news on the space force? Um, yeah, there's you know, again, there's a lot of acquisition news on on the space force side. Just in terms of you know, they're also standing up their own futures command to do similar stuff in terms of uh, more overarching force planning. You know, they, they like the Air Force, want to make some changes to how their squadrons deploy. I mean, not, not a lot of people in the Space Force do deploy, but, you know, across the department, they want to... They're, they're, they're trying to make it a little more fluid in terms of, you know, you will know when you will deploy, who you're going to deploy with. You know, it's not going to be as piecemeal as in the past when the Joint Force comes calling. 
And so that's, you know, they're, they're figuring out the details of, of that as well. You know, how uh, squadrons and, and deltas and, you know, wings on the Air Force side, uh, what, what that's, what's that actually going to mean, you know, to look something more like, you know, a carrier strike group in the Navy um, so that you have a package that you can present to the joint force to say, oh, you know, you want X, Y, and Z capabilities. Like, here's our nice, neat little package that we can give it to you in. Jeff, you were at another conference this week, the West 2024 conference in San Diego, California. I know that Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Lisa Franchetti spoke at the event. What did she have to say, especially on some of the historic battles the Navy is facing? Sure. Uh, yeah, the uh, Navy's current engagements in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden were kind of the overarching theme, even as the conference kind of seeks to explore how to counter the the so-called pacing threat of of an ascendant China. And it's largely focused on the West Pacific in recent years, but you know, uh, world events have, have made the Red Sea stuff in the Gulf of Aden. Uh, Houthi battles kind of the the main focus this year. CNO Franchetti noted that Navy destroyers in the region had shot down 14 anti-ship ballistic missiles for the first time in history. And this conflict is believed to be the first one where anti-ship ballistic missiles or ASBMs have ever been fired kinetically or, you know, with the intent to harm. Uh, so she noted that the head of Naval Surface Forces, Vice Admiral Brendan McLean, uh, noted the same on his own panel. Uh, Tuesday morning, Frank Hedy also confirmed that Navy warships had destroyed more than 70 drones and 70, uh, seven Houthi cruise missiles in addition in recent months. So that's been, again, kind of the overwhelming theme is this ongoing operation. This, I think it's fair to call it a proxy war at this point. And lessons the Navy is learning from these engagements. Leaders are pretty tight-lipped uh, in terms of specifics, in terms of how these clashes are are shaping doctrine and, and guidance. But they have admitted that in real time, you know, the destroyers in the Red Sea are sending data back to commands in the states. And commands are getting right back to them in terms of how to optima- optimally tune their radar to be kind of best prepared for when the Houthis start firing. And again, Swoboss Vice Admiral McLean noted that often these ships' crews have about 60 to 90 seconds to take action against the Houthi munitions. So it remains some really, really hot waters and the, the overwhelming focus at West this year. And U.S. Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro also had a pretty powerful message for government contractors. Can you bring listeners up to speed on his remarks? Sure. Um, you know, West and some of these other military conferences, you know, they have the big exhibitor floor. It's really the so-called military industrial complex made tangible and, and come to real life. And, you know, there's sometimes some the brass, the Navy brass will kind of inch around some challenges they're having with industry. But it seems like Secnav del Toro really kind of took this opportunity to pop off a little bit uh, at industry. And he basically said, you know, we're at a time of this you know, really high level global conflict. And we need these companies to put the country before their profit margins. Um, You know, he said, quote, you can't be asking the American taxpayer to make even greater public investments while you continue, in some cases, to goose your stock prices through stock buybacks, 
deferring promised capital investments, and other accounting maneuvers that, to some, seem to prioritize stock prices that drive executive compensation rather than making the needed fundamental investments in the industrial base in your own companies at a time when our nation needs us to be at all ahead flank, end quote. So he really said, you know, we need you to sacrifice for the country just as, you know, the men and women of the Navy are making their own sacrifices. So yeah, it was a um, it was a forceful speech, and I would say one kind of out of the norm. Uh, it's also, as far as I can tell, kind of the first time that Seknev has really sounded off on this issue. But again, sometimes you see brass or, or senior civilians in the military um, take this tone. What it'll mean in the future uh, obviously remains to be seen. Anything else that stood out to you at this conference? Sure. The uh, the head of U.S. Pacific Fleet, Admiral Samuel Paparo, who is uh, slated to become the head of U.S. Indo-Pacific Command uh, sometime this year, uh, he issued a pretty grim warning in his keynote uh, morning speech on Wednesday, kind of warning that the world is descending into chaos and, and once again framing the Navy and the Joint Force as kind of, you know, the bulwark in, in terms of ensuring a, a continued American-led global order. He also announced that this spring the Navy will stand up a second unmanned surface vessel or drone squadron. Um, the Navy set, set up its uh, first surface drone squadron in 2022, and this squadron will once again kind of continue along that mission of pairing manned and unmanned capabilities together. Um, he also noted that a lot of this stuff they have to keep pretty close to the vest just because adversaries like Russia and China are watching. So he said, you know, if I'm doing my job, you won't know a lot about these so-called exquisite capabilities. And uh, that was an interesting message as well. He's always a really good listen. He's a really um, intellectual dude and always kind of has something interesting to say. So he's always a, a must watch at these things. And anything else, Rachel, from the conference that you reported on that you think is worth highlighting? Yeah, a couple, you know, bits and pieces. They announced that they're going to, you know, shrink the pool of collaborative combat aircraft um, vendors. Would You know, CCA is the, the AI-powered uh, drone wingman program that they're pursuing. They're going to shrink the number of companies that they want to provide those and multiple other, you know, kind of program uh, updates as well, just in, in terms of, you know, new offices that they're adding you know, to, to get after cyber and communications and, and some of those, you know, sort of sticky, sticky problems that uh, they've been, you know, trying to chip away at for, for ages. They're going to elevate um, the Air Force's cyber branch to report directly to Cybercom. Um, so the goal there is to, you know, give, give Cybercom, uh, you know, a more direct hand in how, you know, Air Force cyber units, you know, carry out offensive and defensive cyber missions every day instead of making them go through a different chain of command that can dilute that effectiveness and, and that resourcing. And, you know, on, on the people side, they are back on track for recruitment. Um, you know, not something that you can say across the entire Pentagon. So they're, they're pretty happy about that. Um, you know, some of that is due to chipping away around the edges um, on things like, you know, tattoos, on things like um, you know, body composition. Um, but, you know, they're, they're also making strides to try and cut down on the backlog of people um, who who are stuck in kind of the, the medical waiver process, you know, with Genesis um, really slowing things down. They've, they've brought people in to, you know, really be focused on how do we move those people through the process? How do we make sure that they don't drop out as a result of just waiting too long? 
Um, so they, they seem pretty optimistic about that right now. That's it for us this morning. To get more of the top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted by me, Jonathan Lairfeld, and produced by Zimone Z. Perez. If you liked our conversation with Jeff and Rachel, be sure to check out their work on NavyTimes.com, AirForceTimes.com, and across our other platforms. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruss. Have a great day.